And then I discovered that actually freediving was, was a thing that uh, it was possible to to take courses and to there was like a whole like uh, I don't know a whole world linked around it. Mm. And I remember in one of the shops, the freedive shop on this island, there was like a little TV uh, playing in loop some videos. And I remember especially one video from Guillaume Neri that was playing in this playlist. I watched it like over and over and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that's really cool. I really want to do that. It's episode 29 of Dive In The Podcast with special guest, Matthew DeVoe. Welcome to Dive in the Podcast, your favorite podcast about all types of diving, scuba, tech, freediving, and more. We cover it all. Every weekday on Monday, we post new episodes filled with diving news, interesting dive topics, ocean advocacy, and much more. Hi, everyone. I'm Justin. I'm Nick. I'm April. I'm Amit. And we're the hosts of Dive in the Podcast. Tonight, we're speaking to Matthew DeVoe, a.k.a. L. Matt. He's a Canadian competitive freediver and a constant weight Bifins national record holder. He's a passionate freediver and instructor trainer for the Malkinoffs education system in Mexico. When not training for competitions, Matt dedicates most of his time to educating freedivers through courses and coaching. Last week's episode, we spoke with Francois, and I knew he had been around freediving in Canada for a long time, but I didn't realize how much uh, how much he was involved in the early days of Canadian freediving. And uh, and it was really when he talked about that connection with water that he gets freediving. I get that scuba diving, but I get it so much more when I'm freediving. It's neat that that happens to so many people, too. Yeah, definitely for me. Like every time I think about hearing of this guy's story now, I'm, I'm in that spot where I'm just thinking of this great white smiling at me <laughs> and uh, and coming forward and thinking, yeah, hold hold your ground. That'll work. And so, yeah, it's quite the quite the story. I enjoyed him. He had a lot of a lot of energy and uh, he was a great interview overall. Yeah, I had somebody in the shop today literally was just like, yeah, I was listening to your episode with Francois and he was talking about, you know, charging the shark or, you know, standing your ground <laughs> against the great white. And he's like, I guess that's important to know with all these sharks in Nova Scotia now. Well, there you <laughs> yes, go. That's true, too. Serious safety tips there, April. There you uh, go. Hey, you know, Cassandra was like very disturbed by that story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I knew she would be though. <laughs> yeah. Trouble, it's kind of hard to stand your ground with a shark if you can't see it coming because we just that don't have true. that kind of visibility. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's also the good thing because you'll just never, you'll just never see it swim by. So, so uh, guys, remember back in episode 15 when we interviewed Alana Velicott? Yes. Uh-huh. Another awesome episode. Yeah, it was definitely a great episode. And I wanted to take a minute to mention that as most of our listeners are in Canada, starting on October 18th on CBC Gem, that's the uh, the app and, and station, I guess. I guess most just an app. Anyway, the show Enslaved that she was a part of with Samuel L. Jackson is going to start streaming on October the 18th. So uh, might want to uh, check that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've uh, put a lot of links on that every time she she throws one up there. I'm usually pretty stoked, and uh, I can say without a doubt that's going to have to jump onto my uh, onto my must watch list. Yeah, the preview looked really good. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the 18th is a Sunday after this episode airs. I believe. Oh uh, yeah. Now we know what everybody's going to be doing on their Sunday evening. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it's not like so many other shows, and it's like doesn't premiere until 10 p.m. Oh, mm, I, I hate know. that. But if it's anyway, on an app, Canadian problems. is it just, uh, <laughs> if it's on an app, do you watch it anytime? It's going to be, I think it streams that night. I'm not quite, it wasn't quite clear. Uh, presumably it's going to be available more than, more than once, right? Yeah. But yeah, usually it's available on like a live channel and then it's available to stream immediately after, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. It says watch on CBC and CBC gem. Oh, okay. uh, it just says streaming on, on October 18th. So presumably that's probably like Netflix is any time after midnight, right? Maybe. There we go. Her super cool photo too. Uh, oh, laying yeah. on the coral, like the dead coral. Uh, Girls that free dive shared that photo, which was super cool too. Yeah, that was pretty powerful. Yeah, I think that was Andre, Andre Musgrove did that photo. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. Speaking of another awesome diver, <laughs> I don't even actually know if this guy dives, but there's a guy named Lloyd Scott in England. Uh, he's been raising money for charities for over 30 years. Uh, he uh, has raised over 5 million pounds climbing mountains and doing random things like marathons while wearing a full old school hard hat diving suit. Uh, <laughs> 
So this this suit weighs uh, over 130 pounds. Uh, and back in 2002, he ran, and I put ran in quotes. Uh, you just can't see my air quotes right now. The London Marathon in six and a half days because uh, this thing is so heavy. Well, he was wearing uh, a suit for the marathon? Yeah. Yeah. He does all of his charity stuff is in the, in the suit. And that was less than a year after he battled and beat leukemia. Wow. uh, Yeah. And because and probably related to all of this stuff, he's uh, had 23 operations and two hip replacements and a knee replacement (laughs) included in there. Uh, So he said he's probably going to stop doing these fundraisers because it's quote, taken a toll. I bet. I mean, running a marathon in a full scuba suit. That's crazy. Yeah, this is like an old school rubber scuba suit with a 40 pound brass helmet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like the deep sea diving helmet suits, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 If you look at the picture uh, of him wearing that uh, crazy old suit, I think he's even got the giant chunk of lead that sits on yep. his weight. So it's, it's not like he's just saying like, I'm going to put the suit on. He's like, I'm going to put the like suit and the committed. weight on the people. Oh yeah, this is a, he's going the whole nine yards here. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. Well, now running a marathon is no longer impressive to me. You have to do it in a full scuba suit for (laughs) me to be impressed. (laughs) But at least you can take a week to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Take as long as you need. But he's also 58, eh? Yeah. Yeah. What? He's 58? Yep. This guy's a badass. Let's get him on the podcast. (laughs) That would actually be kind of cool. Yeah, we should. Uh, we'll check into that, and uh, you'll hear it here if he is on there first. So, yeah. And then uh, last thing we'll say before we get into the show, I just want to. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty excited about this. The uh, government of Canada has decided that in 2021 we'll be banning all single use or not all, but most single use uh, plastics in the country, including grocery checkout bags, straws, stir sticks six-pack ring holders, plastic cutlery, and uh, hard to recycle plastics from food containers, like the black plastic on the on your Chinese takeout. So yeah, it's, that's it's t- uh, pretty it's, awesome. It's time. It's totally time. I think actually Definitely. like now that we've been talking about it for a while, I think Canada is actually like lagging behind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I, I don't know, I was re- looking at a bunch of news reports on this and the percentage of plastics that we put in our blue bin that actually gets recycled is abysmally low. So as far as like, you know, just general environmental concern and just for the oceans, I think this is a step in the right direction, but a lot more work to do, I think. Yeah, One most thing definitely. I noticed too is like, so in Nova Scotia, there's no more plastic bags at the grocery stores, but in Ontario, there still is. So if you go to the grocery store here, it's still like normal but i felt like i was so like adapted to having no plastic bags in nova scotia that when like i moved here it was like oh it's like taking a step backwards mm-hmm. it well, definitely is well the bags made a comeback here because of the pandemic eh? oh really mm-hmm. i did not know that and then the nova scotia just confirmed yesterday they're pushing ahead with uh with a complete ban as, as was planned at the end of the month i think there was kind of a phase thing yeah. Um, mm-hmm. not quite sure on the details, but yeah, they're going to proceed with it even here too now. So how about the paper bags? Cause I know Sobeys was doing paper bags. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, ultimately it's not just about like the plastic. I mean, it's the one use thing, right? That's part of yes, it. Yes. No, exactly. But, but paper would just- be better than the plastic at least. Yeah, to some degree, but it's it always comes down to like, you know, just using less, right? In general. Yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. We got to think back to Gabby Duvall and her, her one bread bag of trash a week every every two weeks every two weeks yeah yeah it's impressive all right well we've stalled enough at the beginning of this episode we should actually get to our interview nick you had a chance uh, earlier this week to talk with matt too why don't you uh take it away yeah i had a chance to speak to matt devour earlier this week uh just technology wise we were forced to record off team and then also their luckily thing we kind of went through that because they just have a hurricane coming through there now so i don't think we would have been able to connect i think last i heard they were doing okay down there but it was nice to catch up to matt and talk a little bit about his freediving and his his journey in freediving and obviously where he intends to go next after holding the current record for bifins for canada obviously 2019 is a bit of a bust for freediving competitions but matt is training away and hoping for for a good year next year so uh let's listen in so my name is Mathieu Duvaux and I am a freediver I am a freediver instructor and I am also an underwater photographer and I am also a freediving athlete 
I was born in Guadeloupe. Guadeloupe is a French island in the Caribbean, but unfortunately I didn't grew up there. I had to move with my family when I was really young and I grew up in the south of France until I was something like 18 years old or 19 and then I moved to Belgium for a while and after that I moved to Canada to Montreal for another while <laughs> before moving uh, to Asia and start living from diving. But you consider Canada home right? Yeah, in all the country I did, uh, of course I have the French culture because I grew up there, so I'm used to all the things that we have when we are kids, like books and TV and things like this. But um, when I started to, to live in Canada, I really, really enjoyed it. I made uh, very good friends and I really liked the culture actually. And then I did uh, all the steps to become a citizen because I knew that I wanted to, to move to be able to be in tropical water basically for diving. But if I had to come back to, let's say, like a more normal country uh, in the Western world, that's definitely Canada. And I would love to explore more of Canada, but going back through the same immigration process uh, was like, well, it's much better to wait and to actually make it uh, official and, uh, and to come back because I will come back at one point. Today you compete proudly for Canada, but that's the journey now. Where did you start in freediving? I am very proud to represent Canada, even if it was not my original country. But I think freediving in Canada starts to grow like everywhere in the world, but it's still not uh, huge. And there are so many people, so many talent, and it really deserves like, uh, some more attention in the media and in general. So that was one of the things that made me choose Canada, basically, for, for competition. Also, choosing Canada, I have my awesome teammates like uh, Shina. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how did you get started in freediving? Like, what was that like? I used to be in the water when I was young, like a lot, because I grew up like really in front of the sea, literally. I grew up in a little marina, which is uh, a little house, but with an access to the water. Um, salt water, right? It was the Mediterranean Sea, close to Montpellier in France. And um, I used to to fish, and I used to to swim, and to to dive down a little bit, and to to be quite, how to say, like really uh, impressed by um, by the nature underwater, seeing like all the fish and stuff like that. There was like much more when I was young than now, <laughs> unfortunately, and. Um, and then I left this uh, ocean side, this seaside, to to be more like inland, like especially when I was in Belgium. So I disconnected a little bit with the water. This time I was not really going to to pool or anything. And then when I moved to Canada, because the winter is quite rough, and I love the snow, I love like the cold in a way. Uh, but I was like. Uh, feeling to, to escape in the in the sun actually during the winter so I started to go on vacation in Thailand and in Thailand I discovered scuba diving that I knew existed but I didn't do it yet I mean it was something that was new for me mm -hmm. and I, I absolutely loved it and at the same time I started to do a lot of snorkeling and I bought my first uh, little underwater action camera. And I was spending a lot of time like that in the water, starting to go deeper and deeper in snorkeling also because equalization was working. So all the, the, the things that I was that I was doing kind of in scuba, I was also doing it in uh, in snorkeling. And then I discovered like uh, in Kotao, in a little island in Thailand, very famous for diving, that actually free diving was, was a thing that uh, it was possible to to take courses and to there was like a whole like uh, I don't know a whole world linked around it mm. and I remember in one of the shop uh, the free life shop on this island there was like a, a little TV uh, playing in loop some uh, some videos and I remember especially one video from Guillaume Neri that was playing uh, in this playlist. I watched it like over and over and I was like, oh my God, that's really cool. I really want to do that. So then I kept that in my mind. I asked a bit, oh, how is it to take freeing course? But at the same time, I was working on becoming a dive master for scuba diving. And I had a lot of um, expectation from, uh, 
also to, to be able to sustain myself in in Asia, like I was like, okay, I need to become an instructor at one point. So freediving was a bit like uh, on the side, it was fun and all, but I didn't consider it like uh, a way of life, let's say. And then I left uh, Thailand, I went to Bali, and in Bali uh, I was working at, as dive master, and I realized that, okay, it was nice as a hobby, but for me, working all the time like that was not exactly what I, I was expecting. And I started to lose a little bit the, the passion for, for scuba diving. And I was doing more and more uh, freediving on the side mm -hmm. uh, in a quite unsafe way, I would say, because <laughs> I didn't have much knowledge. I was going to 10, 15 meters like, alone <laughs> with like my scuba fins. And, uh, and then I, I decided at one point, I, was, I started to, to read a lot, and I asked to open... Uh, my first rehabbing course at this time uh, online to be able to see the material and I, I started to understand and I was like wow that's really cool and that's really something that I like and then I decided to to quit uh, Bali and to go back to Kotao and to start actually to to do my my courses and then I had like a little amount of money left that was supposed to be for my instructor course before I was totally broke to be able to, to, to make it, and I took the risk to put this money into my freehaving training and see where it would take me, and it went quite well, actually. <laughs> As they say, the rest is history, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's it, but I, I end up my, after like months and months of training there, I did my instructor course, and to be totally honest, I had to sell my camera to my instructor trainer to be able to finish to pay the course. And when I got certified, I had like, I don't know, like a couple of dollars in my pocket and that's it. And then I was very lucky because there was a spot that became available in the, the dive shop to, to teach like straight after because someone crashed on the scooter, a uh, classic uh, Thailand story. <laughs> and needed to be out of the water for a couple of months or weeks at least. And then I, I managed like that and I made my way up to now. Where was your first competition? My first competition was in uh, Mexico. It's a competition that we have here in, uh, in one of our deepest cenote. Cenote is a freshwater sinkhole. Um, it's called Chivalba, but with an X in the beginning. And uh, it was the first edition, so it was in 2018. And so that was your first competition, and then where did that take you next? Where did you compete after that? So yeah, that was my first competition. And then after that, uh, my second one was Blue Element in Dominica for the same year, but like six months later, because Chivalba is generally one of the first of the year mm. and blue element in dominica is generally one of the latest in the year and you eventually went on to set a, a national record in bifins for canada how deep was that and where did you do that the the following years i went back to this uh, competition chivalva in uh, in the senate and i used to love bifins since i started freediving maybe because uh, i don't know i I'm very interested in CrossFit, for example, and it's like maybe the discipline that is the most like uh, feeling a bit like uh, like making like a workout actually. <laughs> um, so I did all of my personal best in bifins until uh, until last last year, basically, where I discovered like monofin and uh, the power of it. <laughs> but when we had this competition, Shibalba 2019. It was the time also where the bifin discipline became like much bigger than it was before because now it was in uh, the IDA ranking uh, and also in the CMAS like before, but uh, it started to, to, to develop more interest around the people. And uh, I did my first national record there. It was on day two, if I remember, or day one, and it was 78 meters. And then directly after, I pushed it to 81 meter. Wow, that's pretty deep. Yeah, it was it was good. I was quite surprised actually because it was a big jump in depth actually for what I did in training before. I think in training I did 75 something like this, <laughs> and then uh, 
I did it again in the Cenote, and then I tried to do 78 because I was feeling comfortable on the 75, and 78 went quite well, and then after that I tried 81 the first time, and I did an early turn, a bit of uh, anxiety, I guess, and excitement, and then I did it again, and then I, uh, I made it, yeah, and I was very happy, yeah, it was cool. What is it about training and competing in, in freediving that, that sort of keeps you going? I don't know. I really like it. I didn't plan to do that when I started freediving. It was not really the, the plan. I was planning to to have fun, to to do mostly courses, and then to do like fun trip and to go to, to dive with whales and stuff like this. And then I discovered depth, like really deep diving. And I was like, wow, that's really cool, actually. When you start to feel comfortable, when you start to have the skills to to become like unconscious competent in what you do, it's absolutely wonderful because it's like a journey and it's a bit like walking at one point. You don't think about what you're doing. And this is fantastic. Uh, so then competition, why? Because it kind of, I think it justifies the, all the training we will do to get to that deep dive that feels awesome, if possible. Sometimes some deep dives are not that great, you know, but uh, when you have one of those, the one that you come up and you're like with a big smile and like, wow, that was absolutely wonderful. That's really, really cool. And um, the fact to compete, I think, is uh, to compete, you need to be competitive, and I am definitely very competitive, <laughs> so I'm not going to hide it. <laughs> I like to succeed, and I think this is also what gives me the drive to do what I do. Because it's a lot of it's a lot of everything. It's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of training. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of commitment. Mm. And the, the the result is not. A lot of people ask me actually when I teach about like oh so you compete no 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 and why do you do that and what do you earn and I'm like oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that was going to be a question, right? Tell me a little bit what that struggle is like, you know? Because obviously you look at somebody's Instagram feed and it just seems oh this is easy. This is a pretty picture, but. A lot of people don't realize, you know, the work and sacrifice that goes under that. So tell us a bit about that. Being like a professional freediver is not very easy. I mean, it depends on where you come from. The problem is always the financial side on top of the training and the dedication and all, because you need to be able to sustain yourself. So then what do you do if you want to be extremely good at competing and training? You need to dedicate a lot of time for that. So then how do you earn money? Mm. Uh, Freediving is not like a huge sport like uh, like tennis or football or soccer um, that will generate like a lot of sponsor and if you're good at what you do you will you will be noticed and then you will have like you need to work hard as well of course but you have some possibility to become actually professional like that. I hope it's gonna become like this at one point but so far it's, it's not really the case so then um, generally you go through coaching people, teaching or selling stuff or like or sometimes even having like a completely different life like finding a job that you can do online for example mm -hmm. and keep some uh, some part of your time for training for keeping your base let's say and then at one point you stop everything and you dedicate yourself to to real training and you peak and then you compete for me I choose to to teach freediving in the beginning it was to be able to sustain the, the lifestyle, but also because I like teaching. And then I discovered with the time that I really like teaching actually. And even if tomorrow I had like a, a big sponsor that will tell me like, okay, I can finance your, your training for the whole year. You don't have to do anything else. You just train. I would not like, uh, I will keep some time for, for teaching because I like it and to do other stuff, like, for example, uh, underwater photography, which mm -hmm. is another part. I think it, it's important to vary, and it's uh, it's difficult in freediving to to stay consistent on what you do and, and to allow your body to rest enough and to your mind also to, to see something else, because yeah. if you just deep dive all the time, you get burned out at one point for most people um, with reason. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, that's another thing that it makes me think of. A lot of people re don't really realize that, that freediving is more, you know, it's closer to a sport than anything else, right? So it, it's taxing on the body, it's taxing on the mind, and its progress isn't linear, right? You you have setbacks and things like that. Oh, uh, extremely, yeah. 
Your other passion, that's one thing I want to talk to you about, is photography, right? So you had to you had to sell that piece of kit way back when. You've made full circle and you know, you're know you a very creative soul with the photography and something I've admired about you. Tell us a little bit about what that means to you. So photography, I'm doing that since, since a while. Uh, even on dry, before I was like, I remember the day I, I bought my first DSLR. It was um, it was really nice. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun to start to finally be able to change lens and put like 50 millimeter and wide angle or whatever. Uh, I started with uh, animals, mm-hmm. like because I used to and I still love like everything that is like small and crawling, like like insects, like uh, snakes, like reptile and stuff like that. So it was quite uh, quite cool to be able to snap like some some beautiful side of these animals that most of the time are not really loved. And then I started underwater with uh, some little compact camera or like GoPro and stuff like that, until the point where like uh, last year I finally got like a mirrorless and proper setup with like the lens I wanted and big dome and these kind of things. I'm very uh, yeah, I'm very happy with that. I can really unleash some creativity and use my skills to do something different. I really, I really like this style. Uh, in a way, like um, you know, deep diving is deep diving. You, it's a lot of work to improve, and you you see the results, and sometimes it's frustrating and all. But it's a bit like monotonic, I would say, like it's always kind of the same and the same direction. Mm-hmm. But photography, it can go to it can go to any direction. It's super cool, like because you sky is the limit at one point. You can do like very very creative shots. You can do very uh, simple shots. In underwater photography, I can actually um, like go like very creative. And also, it's no surprise that I still do it like so much, and even more right now is because I'm. I'm living in a place where I have like so much possibilities because I'm living in Mexico. You've moved around um, and you've kind of found a home in, in Mexico these days where you teach and you do your photography. T- tell us a little bit about what, what it's like to, to dive in the cenotes because it's a pretty unique environment that most people just aren't familiar with. Diving in the cenotes is very, very special. You need to... I think you need to dive it to understand. <laughs> There's a lot of different cenotes in the peninsula of Yucatan, where I am, but all are not like suitable for, for freediving, of course, because there's a lot of cenotes that are just a little hole of water or like a very, very tiny entrance and then a huge underwater cave, which is paradise for, for cave diver. But for us, it's not that great. Uh, but all the cenotes that we have that are like actually a bit deeper and that you can put a line from the surface to straight down it's really cool because we have like small opening big opening clear water murky water layers um, beam of light which are the most famous for here like it's most of the picture you see is from huge beam of light yeah i'm, I'm looking at a picture of you by dan Frohoven of of you coming up a line with a beam of light under you it's it's pretty awesome that's fun. <laughs> Dan is an, an incredible photographer, and it was absolutely wonderful to have him around. Uh, I'm very lucky. So yeah, it's it's a it's a playground basically. Uh, you can go from mangroves to complete like rockscape layer sulfur that look like uh, water underwater. It's really it's really cool. It's really really nice. So your creativity is really unleashed. Like if you want to do anything, you can uh, you can manage to do it. But it's challenging. It's not easy. So keep in mind when you're a photographer and you come here, you will need a little time of adaptation. Most people struggle in the beginning to do good shots because you just need to get used to that very weird, like extreme brightness and extreme darkness at the same mm. time. You know. Mm. So so yeah. But when you understand that. Uh, it's really cool. Yeah. And what, really what what's the diving like? I mean, the, the conditions I imagine must be calm, right? But the, it's also freshwater, so that presents another challenge. Yeah. So it's uh, freshwater for most cenotes, and there's almost always at one point uh, a switch to to salt water for deep places because salt water and freshwater don't mix. So we have what we call a halocline. 
And for example, I have one uh, one cenote not not far from from where I live. We have 76 meter straight down from the surface, so that's really cool for training. But it's it's completely special. Like you start at the surface, it's warm and murky for like nine meter. Then after that, you have uh, a thermocline, and it becomes like colder and suddenly clear, and you see the rocks around you. It's quite cool. And then after that, at 25 meter, we have the halocline, where the fresh water meets the salt water, but don't mix. So we have this layer of sulfur that is trapped, trapped in between the fresh water and the salt water, and it just blocks the light. So below that, it's going to be pitch black, but clear, and all the way to the bottom, but it's in salt water. So that means that your eyes will go from like sun at the surface to like a wheel greenish murky water to then like uh, a nice view and suddenly like pure darkness for for your free form basically and at the same time you're quite fast on the beginning because it's fresh water so your <laughs> the, the density is less you're going to be less buoyant let's say yeah. and then when you start to enter the the salt water you feel like the your body slowing down it's super super different than than the sea because you're like going like, and then you enter the salt water, and you hear your lanyard going like, like that. That is crazy. I'm, I'm just like, I was closing my eyes listening to that and trying to imagine what a dive like that would feel. I've always wanted to come and visit you down there, and now I'm even more so, so that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, you need yeah. to. Um, when I dive this place, I just use a little light that I put in my hood, uh, like a little uh, pencil, and... Mm -hmm. uh, it just allow me to see the line in front of me. Sure. So I have this sensation that I'm free falling into space because I have absolutely no no clue of like you have no reference, moving. Right? Yeah, it's just the line in front that is quite hypnotic. It's really interesting. Uh, I hope you will try it. That is wild. That is pretty wild. So mm -hmm. I mean, obviously that the Cenote is a special hold a special place uh, to you. You've been to other places where you've free dived. Um, what are this? Is there another favorite place you might have, or any other places you like to dive? I mean. Uh... Every place are great, like most of the time. Uh, it just need time to, to adapt and to understand. I would say in my in my top, uh, of course, I I really liked Dominica because I like the nature there and the condition are almost like a cenote. It does no current, a bit of wave sometimes at the surface, but really nothing compared to most of other places. Mm -hmm. And it's warm, so so that was quite nice. I enjoyed so much the the blue of Cyprus, like the water in itself. Oh my God! Like it's it's quite impressive. The visibility is more than 40, 40 meters, wow, wow. and it's deep blue. It's really beautiful. So um, yeah, I absolutely love to dive in Greece as well. I went to Authentic Big Blue, which is a competition in Amorgos, mm -hmm. a little island. I love the island. I'm really looking forward to go back. And it was my first time in the Mediterranean Sea with a proper thermocline and cold, <laughs> colder water, let's say. And I absolutely loved it, actually. My first couple of dives were a bit chaotic. My equalization was a bit difficult in the beginning. And then after like two, three days, it was normal. Like, I mean, I was like, okay, I'm in the cold. I'm free falling. Mm -hmm. That's okay. And I actually really enjoyed it to be like frozen in my free fall like that. <laughs> um, I know it's more it's it's more challenging for most people, and I I don't know if I can do as good as in like tropical water. But I think with a bit of adaptation, yes, I did some pretty decent dive there, and I really enjoyed the feeling. So I'm really looking forward to that. Actually, uh, I'm not just craving like super warm water and like. Uh, ideal condition you know uh, i'm trying I'm, I'm really looking forward to to explore more more places as well and more different type of water and especially in canada well you're, you're gonna have an opportunity when when uh, we're able to travel more freely again i, I hope so I, yeah. I saw a little competition i think it was in quebec yeah, yeah. francois at, at apnea city they had just a one-day mini comp 
uh, very, right. very quickly organized. We actually just had Francois on, on the podcast last week. I've been to his competitions. Yeah, they're they're quite fun, really well organized too. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And have you seen the view? The view is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> no, the, the, quarry, the quarry at um, in Tedford Mines, the visibility is pretty good. And uh, the water can be cold, especially when you get a little deeper, but it's a, it's a pretty sweet spot. I would yeah. love to try. Yeah, yeah. you should. Okay. I recommend it. You know, it's not been a very busy year for competition. I guess you're going to get back to training next year. But in the meantime, where can people find you? Like you're based in Mexico and you have your teaching there. So if somebody wants to find you online, uh, where can they look you up? Yeah, so quite easy. You can check Instagram. It's the main platform I use for social media. My personal account is called Matt Freediver. So Matt with two T. Mm-hmm. And the school account is called, very simple as well, Cenote Freediving. Okay, we'll put a link of that to the show notes. And you do you have a website? Yeah, and then I have both web- websites. One is cenotefreediving.com uh, and the other one is mattfreediver.com. Okay. I know there's a lot of really cool photos, uh, both of you by other photographers, but also photographs that you have taken on, on your social media. So I encourage people oh, to go, go check it out. Yeah. 2019 has been a bit of a bust for, for most competitions globally for freediving, but uh, everybody's looking forward to 2021. Um, what would you have in mind? Yeah, so I'm definitely looking forward to, <laughs> to 2021. Right now, I'm trying to invest time into my school and, and to keep a base of training to be able to be prepared for next year and to be able to pick at the right time. So next year, I'm going to start with a, a competition that is called Shibalba again, this mm-hmm. uh, competition in Senate, if it happens. And after that, my main event is going to be Vertical Blue uh, in Bahamas, which will be a first for me. And I'm absolutely stoked to be part of that. I'm really, really looking forward for that one. And I will prepare like properly. Uh, I hope <laughs> I hope I will have time. Uh, we, we've, I've seen you train and I followed you on social media, so I'm sure you will. And Vertical Blue, that's going to be pretty cool, man. I don't know if there was like a Canadian athlete in vertical blue since years. So I'm I'm very very happy I managed to get spots and uh, I will keep it if I can and uh, let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh yeah, 2021 is gonna be. Uh... 2021 uh, should be. We don't know because nothing has uh, been announced. But if it's like the other year, it's gonna be in July. Uh, and hopefully it's going to be on streaming uh, with the dive eye and all the kit to be able to see uh, the dives. And, and for me, it's, it's amazing because it's like competing with all this absolutely amazing athlete from all over the world. Like it's the best of the best in vertical blue. So I'm sure I'm going to learn so much there. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, I, I hope you get there. Before we finish, I like to ask everybody the same question. What keeps you diving? I just love it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I I like the whole package, I would say. like um, I think I like the lifestyle. I like what it brings to my life and the work I need to put in it. You know, like it's, uh, it's something that in a way gives a sense to my life, I would say, mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. That's pretty special. Yeah, it is, yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show and taking the time to chat with us. And we wish you the best of luck in your next endeavors. Oh, thank you so much, Nick. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Nick, for doing that interview with Matt. That was a really neat. He's a pretty cool guy. And uh, hopefully he's doing well in Mexico down there with the storms. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And hopefully we'll get him on uh, live one of these days. Yeah, we'll get him on a full team interview. We'll take a minute here to go to break and we'll be back with the Deco stop and a book review. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor, Torpedo Rays Scuba. Torpedo Rays is a local dive shop in Nova Scotia. If you're not in Nova Scotia, that's okay. They've got a wonderful website, torpedorays.com, T-O-R-P-E-D-O-R-A-Y-S.com. All of the scuba gear you could ever need is there. If you can't find it, give Jason a call, 902-481-0444, and he'll be happy to help you out. In these challenging times, it's always great to shop local. Don't go to a huge, big box 
help support your local dive shop, buy something you've had your eye on, excellent time to make a good deal, buy a gift certificate to use later, whatever the case may be, Torpedo Rays and TorpedoRays.com will be there for you. Once again, their number is 902-481-0444 or TorpedoRays.com. Welcome back to Dive in the Podcast. Thanks for sticking with us. Up next is Amit and this week's episode of Deco Stop. I'm quite happy to be launching Deco Stop on this week's episode, and I suppose we should give some context surrounding this. So I've given this a lot of thought and overall at some points had some reservations about doing a segment like this, primarily because the discourse on the topic can tend to be quite broad and there can be very strong feelings and opinions about tech diving and within the tech diving community. And uh, mm-hmm. of course, uh, another reason why I kind of held some reservations about it was that I'm, I'm very new to tech diving, having only become a certified TDI tech diver earlier this year, uh, which raised that obvious question of why should I be talking tech? So having reflected on that, I must say in the end, it was that last piece that uh, kind of became the reason why I decided to to dive into this uh, segment here. Well played. Um, you like that? Um, that was yeah. that was for you, April. Um, so yeah, it was really because of that piece there, right? Because I thought, you know, often you get into this situation where you hear that term, like you know, the great mystique when you when you hear regular divers um, talking about tech divers, and I thought it'd be cool to kind of approach this from that angle, and and the angle being just a, a regular diver that en- ended up being a tech diver, and just throw out some straight talk on that journey. So having said that, the segment is really meant to kind of introduce and explore tech from the standpoint of a recreational diver who finds themselves curious about tech diving. Um, so uh, my hope is uh, as we go through to bolster it a bit uh, by occasionally inviting some uh, subject matter experts on to uh, chat about various topics. And so that's really the background that led up to where we are today. And I thought the first thing that we should chat about on this segment would be pretty well the basics of it, which is what is tech diving? And so I think in general, if we just look at it from that standpoint, you can say that tech diving would be anything or any sort of diving that exceeds the normal recreational limits of your diving organization. Uh, so it's pretty simple. You know, uh, you don't need to get all crazy and, and, and technical about it. It's, it's actually relatively straightforward. If you think of it in those terms, it's often defined by depth and it's defined by no decompression limits or NDLs. So perhaps you exceed your depth limits or perhaps you exceed your no decompression limits. And then in that case, you're starting to enter this realm of the tech diver. So if NDLs come into play or your no decompressions come into play, then the diver gets placed into this position where they're no longer able to ascend directly to the surface. And if you're in that position, you've created what they would refer to as a a virtual or an artificial ceiling for yourself. That ceiling requires then a mandatory decompression stop uh, that has to be performed on the ascent in order to avoid any cases of decompression sickness. So if you think of our recreational diving as the as sort of the, the starting point on this, you know, we can ascend at any point that we want to and we introduce a three or a five minute safety stop, uh, we, you know, because it's just that it's a safety stop. And I think, you know, the, the big difference to keep in mind here is that should you have to, you can ignore that safety stop or you can violate that safety safety stop. And the likelihood of uh, you encountering things like the bends or having to be looked at for other medical issues is very slim. However, as you move into uh, technical diving, then that becomes a very real and serious danger. So overall, like as you, as you kind of consider tech diving, those are the first pieces that you start thinking about. Along with that, you know, we can, and we'll get into that as we go into other episodes, but uh, there's the ability to look at uh, specialized equipment. You end up uh, getting into situations where you need to carry redundant equipment or twin sets and side mount gear, uh, and as well using special gas mixes and additional training that's usually required to ensure that you're meeting the requirements for optimizing your off-gassing of nitrogen and avoid getting bent. So really, in a nutshell, when you think of tech diving, you can get all crazy and think about, say, like, you know, the Jill Heinerth going on that expedition cave diving, or say, like, you know, Richard Harris dropping into a 245 meter dive 
and that would scare the living heck out of most people. <laughs> but you know, it, it doesn't have to be that extreme. It can it can really just be that thing where you're thinking like, you know, there there was that wreck that I was diving on that was within recreational limits, like it was inside of 130 feet. Uh, and I just really wanted to spend a bit more time poking around. And so mm -hmm. what do I need to do to get there to get to that point? So it doesn't have to be on the extreme, it can really just be a case of like, I'd like 20 more minutes on that wreck at, uh, at 120 feet. And maybe you go ahead and start down that journey. So that's really where I'd leave it there. Um, if you guys had any thoughts on there. Sounds like fun. And I'm excited to have uh, something a little different looking at the technical side for the show. Yeah. Thanks for taking that on. Definitely agree. Echo Nick's sentiments there that uh, I'm mean, excited to see where it goes. And I think a lot of divers out there find themselves in that uh, in that position, you know, should I move towards technical diving? Should I stay where I'm at? You know, do I want that extra 20 minutes? Do I not want that extra 20 minutes? Do I want to go 10 meters deeper? You know, do you know, those, those kind of little questions, those are starter questions. And, you know, hopefully we can find some answers for those questions. Yeah. And I, th I think the one cool thing um, that I experienced when I did my first tech course was, and that's my opinion now, that I think even a recreational diver that doesn't want to venture into tech should do an introductory tech course. Um, I think it will re they will rethink how they approach diving. And I think that should be really important from a safety point of view. So I'm, I'm very much, I think, personally a proponent that somebody should at least do an intro to tech course to kind of open their, their field of, of vision a bit in terms of as far as diving it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, having, like I said, having just gone through that process, um, you know, just just even your gear setups and being able to uh, streamline things and recognize how you should or shouldn't dive or, you know, positions in the water stability and those kinds of things, you can really improve significantly. And, and even if you just decide that you never go into the technical side afterwards, those are going to be skills that are transferable and will just overall make you a better diver. You don't have to go deep, right? It yeah. just, just kind of broadens your horizons a bit. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. Well, thanks, Amit. We look forward to hearing from you in a couple of weeks on the next segment. In the meantime, Nick, you've got a book recommendation for us. I do, and I'm going to turn things on its head this week. So most of the books have been books that you read, which is what people think of. But <laughs> I'm, um, I'm going to recommend a book called Lost Oceans by Johanna Basford. And she's a Scottish illustrator and sort of the pioneer of adult coloring books. So if you want a little something different, just look up Lost Ocean by Joanna Basford, and she's got a website. And the book comes like in an artist edition or a regular edition. And it's it's basically an adult coloring book with sort of ocean features to, to color in. Um, so a lot of fun going into winter if you want something to do uh, on a snowy, rainy day. But yeah, check it out. And she's also got like awesome books in general, if, if you, even if you want something that's not ocean themed. That's really cool. That is definitely different. I didn't even realize you snuck that in there and I didn't. Uh, no, that's good. Uh, <laughs> definitely look at that. Always fun to do a little coloring. I've got two kids, so I've spent my fair amount of time coloring in recent years. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things like I don't you go and you do all these different things for relaxation. And yeah, I'll agree with you, Justin, like uh, having a having a nine year old daughter on occasion, she'll convince me or. Uh, would could we say manipulate me and coloring <laughs> with her? And you know it is. It's it's just like diving. You you kind of take your mind off of things and you're coloring, and it just kind of brings you back to that. So putting those two pieces together with the ocean theme sounds like it could be a pretty interesting book. Yeah, and also if you want to like you know at the end of a day, if you want to kind of disconnect from the world without looking at your screen before you go to bed, and you're just maybe having a glass of wine or beer, and you just kind of drawing to kind of disconnect your mind that's that's mm -hmm. another way to kind of approach the end of the day and kind of disconnect from you know the instagram and the facebook and all of that well thanks again nick so in case you guys have been wondering why we hadn't had a book recommendation in a few episodes earlier we talked about our format of the show changed a little bit and now we're kind of rotating through these segments in a in a different timeline and so there's not a book recommendation every week there's not a deco stop every week but it allows us to spend a little bit more time and and drill down a little bit deeper into these things so yeah looking good guys and let's keep going so this is about the end of the show where i say thanks again to matt devoe for joining us for an interview hopefully we can get you back in and do an interview and everybody gets a chance to chat with you as well and i gotta thank as always uh, the co-hosts of the show uh, nick thanks for being here tonight yeah as always pleasure being here it was a pleasure chatting to matt and uh, i know i talk about socials in the interview but make sure you go check out his instagram he's got some pretty awesome photos of his free diving yeah it does have some nice stuff there mitt uh thanks for joining us as well 
Thanks for your first Deco segment. Yeah, absolutely. It was a <laughs> pleasure to do it. And yeah, do a talking tech or tech talk with the Deco stop here was, uh, was a lot of fun. And so, you know, if anyone's listening to it and you're you're sitting there thinking like, hmm, I always had this question about tech or, you know, I was always curious about this thing, shoot it over to us and we're happy to try and, and work that into the segments as best as we can. So yeah, happy to be here and looking forward to doing more of these. And April, thank you. Always a pleasure. Glad to uh, come out tonight. These episodes are the easiest for me. I just get to enjoy. I have no prep work. <laughs> <laughs> Sit back, relax. Sit back, relax. <laughs> it's exactly what I'm doing. Yep. Glass of wine. Well, I have a sparkling water, but you know, same thing. It's a work <laughs> night. Very similar. You can't yeah. be crazy, Justin. You can't be crazy on a work night, April. You're sounding much older than you are. Well, you know. I've I've aged. This pandemic has aged me 20 years. Uh, Catching up with me then. Yeah, exactly. I guess that uh, that wraps. (laughs) On that note, we'll just wrap things up. Uh, you can follow the show on Instagram and Facebook with at divein.podcast. Our email is divein.podcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, www.diveinthepodcast.com. On there, you can send us a voice message, find links to all of our past episodes, and you can find me on social media at IDiveOK. April's at April Weikert. Nick Winkler is at Nicholas Winkler Photography. You can find links to everything we mentioned on today's episode in our show notes or on our website, diveinthepodcast.com This episode of Dive in the Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor Torpedo Ray Scuba. Head over to your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thanks for listening. Justin, I'm getting... Yes, ma'am. I'm getting questions on your Instagram username again. Yeah. Can you what clarify, about it? Can you clarify what tone it should be said in? It's totally up to you. You can decide uh, if you just think I dive adequately, um, or like if I'm like <laughs> answering an argument, like I dive okay. <laughs> oh, it's, okay. it's, it's totally. Like, we get it. You dive. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, right now, yeah, you go, could, I'm going. You could also go like, okay. I dive. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Dive, okay. <laughs> make make yeah. yourself a dang quesadilla. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm definitely down with like, you're, you're like angry and defending the fact that you dive because we make fun <laughs> yeah. of you so much. For I not dive. Diving. Okay. I do dive. Okay? I do dive. That's how right? I read it. <laughs> I never read it as in like, I dive mediocre. It's like, I dive. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you are just an okay diver. Maybe I'm just yeah. an okay. I'm, I'm from Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> surprised nobody knew that. And I just dive. Your I whole just interview in episode was a lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm also in the witness protection program. They sent say me to his Canada. name isn't even Justin. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> I was just going to say, and you've uh, burnt that one. Real Your real name's so. Keith. <laughs> just, my real name's Justin.